We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Miss something from the Todd Feinberg Show? Listen to the podcast on WTIC.com slash podcast. Well, well, well. Back to another week. 860-522-9842. Did you hear about this? Uh, Connecticut makes climate change studies compulsory. This is the merger of politics and education that the left is so good at, and then they deny it. This is from The Guardian, the British newspaper. Enshrining the curriculum in law insulates... The subject of climate change from budget cuts and culture wars related to the climate crisis. But this is part of the culture war. Starting next July, Connecticut will become one of the first states in America to mandate climate change studies across its public schools as part of its science curriculum. So this is a this is a demonstration right there of why you should never have public schools, why you should never have government run anything. They can't help but rig it for their own benefit. Starting next July, Connecticut will become one of the first states in America to mandate climate change studies across its public schools as part of its science curriculum. How does that help anybody? Except those who want there to be a political indoctrination. The new law passed earlier this year comes as part of the state's attempts to address concerns over the short duration and, in some cases, absence of climate change studies in classrooms. The requirement follows in the footsteps of New Jersey, which in 2020 became the first state to mandate K-12 through climate change education across its school districts. Has there been a protest movement led by parents asking for Asking for critical race theory style indoctrination of kids to believe the climate change arguments. And just to make things clear, my position on climate change, I've been uh, here for five and a half years at WTIC. And for that whole time, I've been saying the the point of the argument is not about whether climate change is happening or not. It's if we were to stipulate and agree to the notions they're promoting, what would the solution be? And I've yet to hear a single piece of policy that makes any sense out of these people. Have you? 
860-522-9842. That's where the rubber meets the road. Don't waste time fighting over whether it's happening or not. Invest your time in the argument over what difference are electric cars going to make. Will electric cars actually become adopted and why? And will they actually reduce the amount of CO2 going into the atmosphere? Where is the compelling argument? The, for the people who are out there buying the electric cars, thinking that they are helping the environment, have they ever seen an argument that would suggest that anybody has looked at the science, created the science? Have you ever seen the science of climate change policies that they want to start teaching kids in school? Has anybody seen that? I don't think so. Will they teach that in school? I doubt it because it doesn't exist. Because if you talk to sophisticated people about climate change policy, even people who promote it, they will say electric cars are not likely to have a significant role in this whole thing. But that is the tip of the spear. Why? How does creating a shortage of natural gas and other essential sources of energy which can't be replaced. How does creating a shortage help us get to some position of strength where if there is a viable solution, there would be, there would be enough money around to pay for it? 860-522-9842. These people keep rigging the system based on their desire to rig things politically. Just like just like a committee uh, controlled by Democrats and populated only by Republicans who agree with Democrats. Just like that committee wants to charge or wants to coerce the Justice Department into charging Donald Trump, they want a politically controlled movement towards brainwashing people into climate change education. And that's what they're looking to do in the state, is to make sure all the kids are being brainwashed into critical race theory and climate change and whatever other political conclusions they're chasing. So I, I want to see how you feel about this, because I, I find it pretty upsetting that this goes on and people don't notice. This goes on and people seem not to care. There isn't much reaction with the rigging of things. Currently, nearly 90% of public schools across Connecticut include climate change studies in their curriculums. However, by mandating it as part of state law from grades 5 to 12, Climate education will effectively become protected from budget cuts and climate-denying political views at a time when education in the U.S. has become a serious culture war battleground. And this, I'm reading from a story announcing the new policy on teaching, on requiring the teaching of climate change in the schools, and they are making it a 
culture war battleground issue by doing that. They're elevating it. They want the culture fights. 860-522-9842. They want to exacerbate those arguments. James is calling from Newington. Hi, James. Hey, thank you very much. And I want to jump on this uh, category of uh, a conversation about uh, climate change. And remember the three monkeys, hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil? Mm-hmm. That's what I get with the whole climate change thing, and I'm going to specifically link it to the Hunter Biden laptop. Most people don't know that while Joe Biden was vice president, his son, representing the Chinese, was involved in two very nefarious deals where there was sensitive technology in America that was not allowed to be sold to China, and he set up two fake companies, I believe in the Cayman Islands, The first one was to buy Deming Automotive, which makes metal vibration technology that makes your car run better, but it also made Chinese missiles more accurate to hit our carriers. But the second one was that the largest cobalt mine in um, Congo, still owned by an American company, was for sale. And because it was on the materials list, because cobalt is used to make um, the batteries for our electric cars, you could not sell it to anyone from except a Democrat country company. And he set up a fake LLC in Cayman Islands, and the Chinese then bought that incredible mineral resource. So it's another one of these stories where nobody wants in the liberal news media to give people the full version of the facts for, for fear they might be able to make an educated decision themselves. They want to spoon-feed us 30%. So I'm, in, I'm interested if you knew about that and what your thoughts are. If I knew about what? which If you knew that Hunter Biden was involved, in, and here's the key, while his dad was vice president, three people on the sensitive technology committees, one from the Department the Secretary of Commerce, one from the Department of uh, there's a technology list of companies then, and who is allowed to be sold to. Three people high up in the government had to approve that deal before it could go through. I just wonder if you knew that while Joe Biden was vice president, uh, the wheels were greased for his son to help our enemy, the Chinese, monopolize. They now control 85 percent of the cobalt mining in the world. Um, regarding Hunter Biden, I have been aware of all the stuff that he's been involved in. It doesn't interest me particularly because I think this is uh, downstream of what the big issue is, which is that we allow there to be enormous government bloat and wasting of money and power that people are willing to destroy America to get their hands on, you know, American politicians. I, what grosses me out is that we've gotten to a point where the American people have been brainwashed into thinking big government is good and because they get paid to believe that and that the government keeps getting more bloated and deeper in debt and the result of all that spending and the flow of money through all these hands is that things keep getting worse so the study the the story is interesting to me in that it contributes to the understanding of how out of control we are but i think the thing we should be talking about is out of control big government thank you thank you nice to hear from you james Eight six zero five two two nine eight four two. Let's see, Dave. Hang on, we'll get to you next, and we will take a quick break. Don't forget to call the rant line eight six zero seven five one forty six ninety eight. We'll do the rants at uh, five ten today on WTIC. 
WTIC 860-522-9842. So, yeah, the, uh, the new conspiracy of the left is to infuse climate doctrine and indoctrination into the public schools, which they've passed a law to require. Let's talk to Dave in Windsor next. Hello, Dave. Hi, how you doing, Todd? What's up? Uh, on electric vehicles, um, you could go to, uh, you know, just like the Motor Trend website as an example. And uh, they talk about the efficiency of uh, electric vehicles compared to uh, gas cars. And um, as an example, what they, what they list is out of the 8.9 million barrels of gasoline consumed daily uh, in the U.S., an average of only 1.8 million gallons or approximately 20% actually propel an internal combustion engine floor, vehicle floor. The rest of the gas is used for other components in a car. Uh, an electric vehicle uh, only loses, so, th- so that means that a gas vehicle loses 80% of its energy, where an electric vehicle only loses around 11% of its energy. And even if you get into... Uh, but none of this is a climate change argument or a, about uh, even a policy argument about why electric vehicles, the investment in changing over to electric vehicles would result in less carbon dioxide being released into the atmosphere, enough so that it would make a, a, a dent in the, what the climate change people say is necessary to have happen in order to turn back climate change. And that's the part of the argument that matters. You can, well, if it, you can if produce, it, over the next 10 years, you can convert the, um, the world's, uh, well, you can't, I don't think, but you can try to convert the world over to electric cars. You could try to convert America over. Maybe it would take 20 years. You'd be forcing everybody as quickly as possible into new cars, which has climate impact, so that climate impact needs to be measured against that this this whole arc of polluting the atmosphere if the atmosphere is being polluted. And and I think there's a reasonable argument to be made that those things if they are going to matter should be sorted out by the markets so that people acting rationally can drive our move over to electric cars if that's how it's going to be, because nobody's factoring in the, the lack of availability of these metals, the battery technology and the batteries that you need to, to build electric buses and electric airplanes and electric cars for everybody. And, and what if we switch to hydrogen instead, and that becomes the favored technology? Well, you know what? Why don't we go back to whale oil? You know, I mean, the market is going to drive it. You're right. And people are going to choose what they want to buy. But you were talking a second ago about electric vehicles and efficiencies, and I'm just pointing out that. Well, I was talking uh, about the efficiencies in the, the fact that you're reducing. If, if they if they produce the electricity to charge the cars, if they you know produce it with natural gas, as an example, even coal, take natural gas, which is predominantly what they're producing electricity with now, they're going to re, going to reduce energy by 48 percent. Of course, that's going to have an impact on greenhouse gases. If you're going to if you're going to uh, reduce it by but it may not be viable to make the change over to the electric cars. I don't get where you're saying viable. What, what, viable what? as in wh- how many batteries are we going to be able to make and how long will it take us to make those batteries? How many do we need each year and how long will it take us to get there? They're doing it now. they got plenty of capacity to They're make They're doing batteries. it now. Do you know how many electric cars are on the roads in Connecticut? 
out of one point one and a half out of a one and a half million vehicles there's something like twelve thousand five hundred electric cars there has been no movement towards electric of any consequence so how can you say it's happening right now Listen, it's new technology. It's no different than when they started building any other new technology. It takes Except a while. that the government is providing huge incentives to switch over as quickly as possible. There are there's this whole brainwashing of the of the big business world that they the car makers have to pretend to be changing their fleets over to a technology that hasn't been adopted and for which supply chains are uh, fanciful. There's no way they can produce that many cars. You know what? You're talking about 20, 30 years in the future. You're not talking about today. They're making plenty of cars for what people want to buy today. Yes, exactly, because nobody wants to buy no, them except except no. rich people who want to have the cars in their driveway, Dave, and be able to use them to go to parties and stuff because electric cars are cool because Teslas are cool. Thank you for the call, sir. 860-522-9842. I appreciate the call because these... The, the argument is a very simple one. It's not about whether electric cars are good or not. Electric cars uh, may be awesome. They strike me as very exciting technology. My brother has one. He likes to talk about his Tesla all the time. He loves it so much. That's a different question. And, and the efficiency that you mentioned, Dave, it's wonderful, the efficiency. That's great. But they're telling us electric cars are the future. Who's since when does the government and and who in the government is deciding this where is the decision being made they just make this junk up they make it up and then they force it onto everybody and they start changing the laws to require it and this story is about changing education to require that it be taught it's nuts dave and brantford hi Wow, that quick! I didn't even get to think about it, uh, Todd. The thing is, well, I can hold you for a while if you want. Uh, I think I'd prefer it's a little bit, maybe a yeah, two okay. or three minutes. No, that's fine. I I just didn't want you to have to wait if you didn't want to. Eight six zero five two two nine eight four two. This stuff is nuts. This is like if the federal government suddenly decided that we were all going to have to eat. Um, well, say it was 50 years ago, and they suddenly decided we had to eat Thai food. And they started ordering everybody to start eating Thai food, providing financial incentives, cajoling the food service industry into importing all kinds or manufacturing all kinds of foods that we'd never eaten. Why would you ever do that? It can only lead to a huge miscalculation. I don't know, maybe they're looking at the Chinese and they think, well, if the Chinese can control everything, maybe we have to control everything too. 860-522-9842. I'm sorry, Dave. I forgot. We've got a guest coming up after news, so we can't, uh, we can't pursue this conversation right now, but we can try later. Oh, yeah, it's complicated stuff. We'll break for news, and then we're going to talk some uh, political stuff coming up on WTIC. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. 
and great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Listen to WTIC News Talk 1080 on your smart speaker. Just ask it to play WTIC, powered by Dell Technologies. Call 877-ASK-DELL. WTIC. So we interrupt the conversation for a guest I'm excited about having on. Pleased to have on. He is Alex Salter, a professor of all kinds of good stuff in economics and markets that we want to talk about and we want to focus in on. He's at a Texas Tech in the Free Market Institute, I believe. I don't know. There's so many credentials. Let's go to Alex and have him uh, explain himself to us. Hi, Alex. Welcome to WTIC. Great to be here. Thanks for Thank having Thank you, me. sir, for being here. Tell us about what you do in the Austrian school and all that stuff. I'm an economics professor in the Rawls College of Business at Texas Tech University, uh, my teaching is mostly focused on applied business economics, but a lot of my research focuses on monetary policy and macroeconomics, where mm -hmm. among the many traditions that I build on, I'm very influenced by the Austrian school, especially the theories of Ludwig von Mises and Friedrich Hayek. And we hear those names a lot. Why are their theories important, and why are they big guns? They've really come back into the popular conversation ever since the financial crisis of 2008, and the ensuing Great Recession because of their particular theory of the business cycle that seems to do a pretty good job of explaining the facts with the 2008 financial crisis. Have their theories made their way into popular lexicon without us knowing that they're coming from them? It may have. I think that in a lot of popular places, you frequently encounter a story that at least some part of the 2008 crisis was attributable to the fact that the central bank of the United States, the Federal Reserve, 
kept interest rates too low for too long, and that helped to fuel a credit bubble, which inevitably burst. That's a crucial part of the so-called Austrian theory of the business cycle, the idea that well-intentioned public policymakers just make mistakes and keep credit too cheap for too long, and that ultimately fuels speculative mania that eventually self-corrects in the form of a crash and a recession. And is their feeling that it, we'd be better off if, if there, there just weren't bureaucrats meddling in such things, if they didn't have the power to try to do those things because they inevitably mess them up? That's right. When you think about monetary policy, what central bankers are trying to do, it's an incredibly difficult job. Imagine trying to plan money and credit conditions for the entire economy. It's just not something that can be done in top-down fashion. The problem is when you centralize money and credit arrangements into a central bank and you make a mistake, by definition, the entire nation is going to feel it because you centralized your monetary institutions. It would be much better for everybody if we let money and credit work in a bottom-up market-focused process, basically brought some free market principles into money and banking in this country. But I assume that the the big government economists would say, well, we need to manage it to reduce the damage done by people by the bigger events that, that aren't happening because of the protection we're offering. They would probably say that, but it doesn't match the historical record. If you look at what's going on with the history of financial crises in the United States, it's because of this problem that we call too big to fail. Going back at least 40 years, the Federal Reserve, often with the help of the Department of the Treasury, has basically bailed out every major financial institution every time it looked like that major financial institution might fail. Now, imagine that you got to go to Las Vegas on somebody else's credit card. Obviously, you're going to gamble much more loosely. You're going to be comfortable with much more risk. Changes the whole dynamic. That you win, yeah, it changes the entire dynamic. Any money you win, you get to keep. But any money you lose, well, somebody else is on the line for that. We shouldn't be surprised that our financial system is excessively risk-prone when policymakers have spent the last several decades forcing taxpayers to cover their losses. This is dog-bites-man territory. So this, um, this scheme that you're describing of having the Fed and having it charged with making sure that individual Americans aren't damaged by normal cycles – it's always struck me as the opposite of what makes sense, that what we really want people to do, if they're going to make bundles of money off of big periods of time where everything's wonderful and everyone's getting rich, everyone should also be prepared for the fact that the opposite is going to take place and you have to be ready and you have to be smart and you shouldn't be doing this if you're not educated. That's exactly right. The American system of economic activity is supposed to be free enterprise which means that privates are privatized, uh, pro- sorry, profits are privatized, but so are losses. Any system that you have where people get to keep profits that they make for themselves, but get to socialize losses on the taxpayers, is both an ineffective and unjust system. The game is rigged, and that's why it's not working for so many Americans. But this system is also an attack on the notion, as you've pointed out, but I, maybe I just want to say it a little more sharply, If we're going to have a free country, it means we have to be allowed to fall and institutions need to be allowed to fail. And if government is going to step in and protect the people who've made the big blunders that have cost us dearly, then it's only going to get worse. And you're corrupting the whole idea of how capitalism is supposed to work. That's correct. 
I, for one, would actually like to see policymakers in Congress, legislators, revisit the powers that are granted to the Federal Reserve to conduct any and all emergency lending because they've shown that they can't be trusted with the power. They lend too much. They lend too freely. They don't distinguish between banks that are just illiquid versus those that have, through bad decisions, become insolvent. And that creates terrible incentives, as you noted. We're talking to Professor Alexander Salter from Texas Tech, and we're talking about economic policy and the Fed. I'm glad we're talking about the Fed because there's there's a lot of conservatives. I hear from callers frequently saying that the Fed shouldn't exist. We need to audit it. We need to shut it down. Can you address that? Is is the existence of the Fed, is that what we're talking about that the problem is or that there's some segment of what they do that's problematic? At a basic level, I would actually agree that the creation of the Federal Reserve was a mistake. At the same time, I think that it could be reformed in a way to make it serve the public interest. I don't think that you need to fully get rid of it, but you do have to fundamentally change its institutional operating environment. So no what more would... last resort lending, no more bailouts, automate monetary policy by forcing the Fed Board of Governors to follow a strict rule. Basically, central bankers for too long have been judges in their own cause, and that makes monetary policy ineffective and undemocratic. What do we need the Fed for? As long as we have a fiat money system, a central bank seems as good as a basic institution as any to basically get the initial measure of the money supply out into the economy, what economists call the monetary base. However, I'm also very sympathetic to the idea that we don't need the Fed. I, for one, think it was a mistake to have created it, and I think that it's worth exploring some other alternative foundation for our monetary institutions, including but not limited to a return to a gold standard. Uh, you, you went into kind of economic jargon that I don't understand, so I assume our, our listeners don't either. And maybe you could dive a little deeper and put it into layman's term for us. So what is that thing, that fiat thing that you mentioned that we need sure. the Fed to do? Fiat money is basically money that's money because Uncle Sam says so. It's not backed by any other asset. If you take out a dollar bill of your wallet, a $20 bill or something, somewhere on there it's going to say Federal Reserve note. Mm -hmm. That means that that money is a liability of the central bank. But it's a liability in a strictly accounting sense only. If you try and show up at your regional Fed branch and present that note for redemption, they're just going to hand you a newer dollar bill. They're not going to give you gold, you mean? Right. They're not going to give you gold because there's no ultimate asset backing that that you can redeem that note for. And why does that matter? Why did we go off of the gold standard during the Nixon years? And, and, and why should we not have, if that's your belief? It's true that President Nixon severed the last link of the dollar to gold in 1971. Interestingly, that was supposed to be a temporary measure. So it's funny how all these quote-unquote temporary yes. measures by the government end up becoming permanent. We can talk about that, too, because that tells you something about the public policy pressures here. The argument that you sometimes hear from economists is that tying down the supply of dollars to the supply of gold makes the money supply insufficiently responsive in case you need to increase the money supply to stave off a recession or something like that. And even if we grant that argument, it's only looking at one side of the ledger. You have to understand that there are costs to non-commodity-backed money, too. One of them is that it's much, much easier for the federal government to run perpetual deficits, basically spend in excess of its means. 
You can print dollars, but you can't print gold. But and this has become the a government to get away with a lot of mischief. What you're describing right now is is really the threat to our existence that I see developing. Like, how do we live with having this much debt? System. What's yeah, that? You really have to question the wisdom of a system where we load up on public public debt basically to bestow benefits on current voters, and we're laying burdens on future voters before they have a chance to defend themselves. Ooh, I'm glad you mentioned voters, because what this really means is that we're using monetary policy to usurp the notion of having democratic systems, because how do those democratic systems operate in a reasonable way if you're using monetary policy to hide reality from voters? It does get pretty, pretty sketchy pretty quickly. I think that there is a democratic deficit in terms of our basic monetary institutions and how the Federal Reserve works. That doesn't mean that I want to subject every major monetary policy decision to a popular vote. It does mean that I think that Congress needs to put itself back in the driver's seat at getting control of this institution, which in many ways I think has gone a bit rogue. I, I wonder if uh, we're going to take a quick break, and I wonder if when we come back you might explain a little bit more about why we need to and what part of monetary policy we need to have and, and what kind of mechanism we should have to control it. Because uh, I feel like, I mean, you mentioned before to protect us from recession, say, issuing money, and that I I, I sense that we'd be better off without being protected from recession. So I'd like to discuss that when we continue in just a moment. We're talking to Alex Salter. He's a professor of economics and particularly is focused on this Austrian theory of economics, which uh, I think matches up with our belief systems, at least mine that I've been talking about and, and Mike Leibowitz and others who are talking about the need for smaller government and freedom from it. So we'll continue this conversation coming up on WTIC. Now, back to the Todd Feinberg Show, live from the NJ Diet Studios on WTIC News Talk 1080. So I'm still trying to figure out if we need the Fed or not, and, and if we need some part of it, which, which our guest, Alex Salter, says we do. So, Alex, maybe you could... Um, Maybe you could try to indoctrinate me into your belief system on this. I'll do my level best. So the basic argument, I think, for the Federal Reserve is as long as we've decided that we want to have this monetary system where money is money because government says it is, the money supply is not going to manage itself. It's not going to regulate itself. Particular markets, the markets for cars, the markets for ice cream, whatever, these markets are largely self-regulating and self-correcting. Mm -hmm. One market that isn't is the market for liquidity, the market for money itself. And you mean like the interest people, rate? Interest is a consequence of that, but I'm really talking about what fraction of people's assets they want to hold and the most liquid asset in the economy, right, in the form of money. And this idea is when the public gets un, uh, a little bit spooked about the economic future, their demand to hold money, to hold liquidity, might spike. Unless the so central we bank need steps the... in and accommodates that with additional money, it could cause a general slowdown in economic activity that we call a recession. That's the argument and... for the Federal Reserve. But we have recessions, even with the Federal Reserve. That's correct. As we've seen historically, they're just not very good at their job. 
partly because it's a very, very difficult job to do from the top down, which is why I think it's worth considering, look, we've had alternative monetary institutions in the past, including the gold standard, including private banking, including a system where we just didn't have a central bank. I think that that system is worth another look because what a lot of economists will implicitly do is they'll compare the real world, the actual economic history of the United States, to some idealized picture of central banking. Look how much better things could be if we got a central bank to take care of these problems. But central bankers are people too. They're fallible. They don't know everything and they make mistakes. So we need to compare apples to apples. And I think that when you do that, the evidence is pretty clear that a market-based money and banking system founded on a gold standard can actually deliver better economic performance than the Fed can. So the gold standard, which we had, that's a fixed mechanism that doesn't need human intervention to manage it? Once you actually have the basic monetary definition of gold, right, Congress basically said the definition of a dollar is so many grains or so many ounces of gold, that's not a case of price fixing, right? That's more akin to deciding what the length of a meter is, right, setting a basic weight or a basic measure. Once you have that, Banks and other financial institutions are perfectly capable of giving the economy the money it needs to run. And yes, there are going to be occasional slowdowns in commerce. Yes, there's going to be occasional redirections of economic activity as there's economic growth, new technologies come and go. The only question that's really policy relevant, though, is can we do better by centralizing this? Can we do better by developing a central bank? And I think that economic theory and economic history both provide us with an answer. The answer is no. A market-based monetary system is best. If you have the gold standard, that's a fixed amount of money in the economy. That means the economy can't grow the way it has been with the flexibility the Fed has offered having us off the, the gold standard? It's not necessarily a fixed amount of money because what usually is used as money and any economy that has a commodity system like the gold standard is private bank money. A private bank will take deposits and issue liabilities. Those liabilities include physical banknotes and checking accounts, things that we use every day. Mm-hmm. And so it's perfectly possible for banks to adjust the supply of liabilities they offer to the market in order to maximize their profits. And it turns out that that system, when you look under the hood and see how it actually works, actually has a built-in mechanism to adjust the money supply in a way that you would need to keep the economy stable. So it's good in the short term for fighting business cycles, and it's good in the long term for economic growth by giving markets a stable foundation for the purchasing power of the dollar. You're saying then that there's uh, the, the banking system, by issuing whatever it issues to people, it, it's actually, it, it allows for flexibility on top of the gold standard. We're not locked into a single value for the economy by the gold standard. Right. We're not talking about a system where gold and only gold is used as money. We're talking about a system where the most basic definition of money in terms of dollars is a fixed weight or volume of gold. And then you permit private banking activity on top of that. Banks will accept deposits, issue liabilities, make loans, basically. And that's where the economy's money comes from. That's what greases the wheels of commerce. And that's really in helpful. many instances that it works well. Yeah, it's, it's helpful to understand that. All right, Alex Salter, we're out of time. I really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you so much. That was my pleasure. Thank you. Alex is a professor at Texas Tech University, if you want to look him up. And we're going to look up the traffic situation right now. 
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, oh, oh. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.